Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, I am your host, Tommy Ashley. It is Sunday morning. That means there is a day after podcast to be had. Mm. We've got Jason Staples, Buck Sanders with me. Johnny T-Shirt is our sponsor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Johnny T-Shirt was in full effect in Keenan Stadium yesterday. Plenty of gear to go around out there. Beautiful day to watch a football game. Um, Carolina blue sky, blue collar worth ethic, work ethic on display. Buck 41, excuse me, 48, 21. By the way, I think my final score prediction was 45, 28. Pretty close there. But overall impressions on what you saw Saturday in Keenan Stadium? Well, my overall impression is that I saw things I didn't expect to see, really. Um, I thought that NC State, with Leary out, would concentrate on getting their running game going. Now, maybe Jay Bateman's defense had a lot to do with why they didn't. But if you've got one net rushing yard after one quarter of play, doesn't seem like you've spent a lot of time trying to get your uh, running game going. And, I, you know, they didn't have Leary, as we talked about, but they had Bam Knight and they had Ricky Pearson. He, he left in the first half, though, I think, with a concussion. They still have Justin Houston. You know, they have some good running backs. And uh, the word was that they were, you know, the offensive line was pretty decent. And they ran the ball for 270, I think, on Wake Forest um, when they had Hockman at, at quarterback. So I just, taking that game as a blueprint, I thought they would come out and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And that's not what happened. Um, I was also a little surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be, but. Uh, that they started out the game with their corners five and six yards off the line of scrimmage. And that just made it for a very easy pitch and catch for Sam Howell. I think he had 100 yards passing in the first quarter. Um, that just didn't seem to make much sense to me. And plus, I think it kind of opened up the perimeter some for the UNC offense. And Michael Carter dances in from 16 yards out by taking around the perimeter so I, I saw a lot of things i didn't really understand uh of course that's pretty typical for me i don't understand a lot of things but um you know and, and i thought i'd see a more physical game uh from nc state i thought as i said and it wasn't a very chippy game yesterday usually they are kind of chippy uh but i didn't see a lot of chippiness from either side of the you know, the ball. So 
the four turnovers, I didn't expect to see that from NC State. Uh, I didn't expect North Carolina to be plus four in turnovers. And I didn't expect the game just to be over by the you know, beginning of the fourth quarter or even a little before that. So um, all that adds up to uh, what I saw wasn't necessarily what I was expecting to see um, watching the game from yesterday. Jason, you know, I, Buck will say I'm the glass half empty guy, and I am. So I was a little skeptical about whether or not Carolina uh, could do to NC State what they did last season. But I'll say this, and lucky enough to be in the stadium yesterday, um, like I said, beautiful day, um, learned some things, man. Sitting in the shade on the home side is so much nicer than sitting in that brawling sun, but I tell you what, it was 25 degree difference doing that. But to the game itself, um, it was probably the most relaxing <laughs> rivalry game watching I've ever done. I mean, I don't except for when NC State put Finley in and had a couple drives in the first half, uh, that was the only stress. And, Jason, it looked like Carolina played the same way. Uh, they played very relaxed and just did what they did. Your overall take on just – it was a pretty easy ball game, I felt like. The more, the more blue-collar team won. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> simple as that. I mean – when you have a team that bullies the other team on the line of scrimmage, that team's going to win the game most of the time. And when that team has the better quarterback, I mean, we've talked about this on this program. I can't tell you how many times is if the, if one team is better on the line of scrimmage and has the better quarterback, they're going to have over a 90% chance of winning that game. And <laughs> this game was not between two teams on the same tier in terms of quality at this point. North Carolina is in a different tier of quality and, uh, and level of play than North Carolina State at this point. And you could see that in the rivalry game. And NC State tried to, you know, poke at Carolina a little bit, tried to get them off their game a little bit on that sort of thing as a way to, you know, use the – small stuff use the the non the soft factors as a way to try to maybe get get a little bit of an edge but good teams just totally ignore that stuff it just doesn't matter and carolina was that much better than nc state and they just came in with confidence and said all right <laughs> go ahead and stop the running game good luck tackling javante williams all right go ahead and match up with this offensive line and we'll see if you can uh, if you can handle that size good luck and that's all they did. And they, the interesting thing is they really didn't even need to dip into the usual Mac Brown rivalry game bag. This tells you where, where Carolina is. Normally, you're going to see a bunch of tendency breakers and all that stuff from, we talked about this in the advance to the game, from Mac Brown in a rivalry game. You're going to see a bunch of that stuff. You didn't really in this game. They came out and said, we don't need that for you all. <laughs> that, was, which, that was impressive to see. Which, they just did what they do. We're going to do what we do, and if, it, you know, if you can stop it, then maybe, you know, maybe we'll dip into that. But they, they, they reserved all that stuff for, an, for a future game. They, there was no reason to break it, bring it out against NC State. It, I mean, I think it was very clear within the first couple drives, they were like, okay, anything extra we prepared, we're going to keep that in our pocket for when we need it later. <laughs> and okay, well, you know, that tells you something about where the two programs are headed. 
you know, as, as the talent continues to collect in, in Chapel Hill. But Taylor Ripless said it, and a lot of people are saying it, Jason alluded to it there and said it. Um, is this the changing of the guard in this rivalry? I mean, Mac Brown, what's that, seven straight for Mac against NC State? I know they're 20 years apart or 20-some years apart, but like Jason said and folks are saying, I, it just felt different, right? It felt like there was no, and I said it earlier, there was no fight in NC State that Carolina couldn't handle. Um, has Mac Brown really turned it that quickly in Chapel Hill, or is this just um, like last year? Is it just another, you know, just another day on the football field, or is it program shifting amongst the two schools? Well, you will force me to look ahead down the road and into 2021, and who knows what that's going to look like because everybody's got an extra year of eligibility. But I'm guessing. And, you know, please don't at me over this, but I'm guessing that Javante Williams is going to take his talents to a different venue. Um, and so was Michael Carter, Diami Brown, and Daz Newsom, Bo Corrales. You know, I, I think – I thought about this yesterday. I think Michael Carter and Javante Williams both may be, at worst, day two – NFL draft picks. You know, yeah, I, I I agree, especially with Javante. I mean, Michael Carter is going to have a few a few things in his game that they'll pick apart a little bit for the next level, but he's going to get drafted mid round, I, I think, sort yeah. of at the latest. So you know, they're going to have to replace a lot of offensive pieces. Um, the good news is Hal's back. Um, the next best news is all the offensive linemen are back, and they will have better depth. And the offensive line played at a high level yesterday. So uh, it, they've got to, you know, fit some pieces in there at running back. They've got to fit some – well, they've got – I think it's more apparent that they have a wealth of talent in you know, the wide receiver room. So, so anyway, but the other piece of the uh, equation is they're going to be a lot better on defense than they are this year. Um, you know, that some of those pieces that Mac brought in that are playing now as freshmen uh, and you know, what they're bringing in in the, in the 20 class, uh, they're going to have bodies and bodies to use on defense. Jason, you're snickering and you're still distracting me there, buddy. So, uh, Zoom moments. Yeah. Uh, at least you have your pants on. We can you know, be <laughs> thankful for that. Um, but, y yeah, you know, I do think uh, both, uh, you know, as a team, I'm not necessarily going to say NC State is going in a backwards uh, direction, but I think it's more really about North Carolina's going in a, at a much higher trajectory. So, you know, I think, yes, I think it's a, some changing of the guard going on, but I, I don't think things at NC State have really changed all that much, except they don't have a quarterback. If you think about it, they had good quarterback after good quarterback after good quarterback. They had a run of good quarterbacks. And the last two years has sort of been like uh, 2017 and 2018 
was for UNC. They just did not have a elite level quarterback directing the uh, directing the offense. So if they can find that piece, I think they could uh, jump back into the mix a little bit. But yeah, I, I would agree that yeah, as far as the NC State UNC rivalry goes. Um, the prognosis looks pretty good for the Tar Heels. I agree there, and we talked about how much quarterbacks um, make a difference, especially in college football, any football, but college football especially. Jason, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the nuts and bolts of this game particularly. Uh, we talked about Aleem McNeil a lot last week. And I see on the stat sheet where he made at least one tackle. I don't remember hearing his name in Keenan Stadium yesterday. And I know defensive nose guards, it's not all about stats. But what did Carolina do to effectively make him a non-factor? So the main thing that they did was just run the football enough that he couldn't be a factor in the passing game. And with the combo blocking and things that they did, those those guards and – Ultimately, I mean, I thought Anderson played well in, in, ter- in terms of position and, and handling him there. They made him a non-factor by basically just running the football down the line of scrimmage some and having enough guys that, you know, little combo block, little extra arm here, bam. All right, now moving up to the second level. It, it really boiled down to Carolina's offensive line doing their jobs. And he's a good player, but – I've said this since before last year. I think there's at least four NFL guys that are going to be on NFL rosters on that Carolina offensive line. And when you have that kind of talent on your offensive line, once you really start gelling and developing rhythm up front, you can handle a lot, especially if they've only got one or two players up front, you can handle those guys. And that's, that's where Carolina is on the offensive line. I mean, I think, like I said, I think there's at least four guys currently on the UNC roster that will, that will be playing on Sundays or at least a backup on Sundays. And you can see that – you could see that against, against NC State yesterday, that they, they bullied that team. And McNeil wasn't really able to have any impact simply because, first of all, they're not trying to run it straight, you know, into the A-gaps right where he's at. And – what they were doing in terms of making sure that you had an extra guy, you know, on a double team or a combo on him, it does, it, it's, it, it, it kind of made it so that he was, he was a non-factor. Yeah, it was, it was impressive to watch. I mean, looking at the defensive stats for NC state, their defensive line, uh, looking down the line really did, didn't do much. Um, you forcing guys to make tackles downfield, but one of the big, biggest bullies, um, for North Carolina, Javante Williams. You mentioned him earlier. I mean, Javante's becoming legendary. Uh, he's probably one of the best backs I've ever seen at North Carolina. Um, I'd have to think maybe who could compare. I know there's some out there, and maybe we can look at that in depth at some point this season. But 17 broken tackles or four 17 missed tackles. The run in the – I guess was it the fourth quarter when he's coming in our direction towards the Keenan Football Center and he, he goes left. I mean, State didn't want anything to do with him on that play. I mean, nobody made an effort. But you've watched Carolina football a long time. Where do you put Javante Williams in that 
sort of pantheon of North Carolina running backs because there have been some good ones. I would say there, there's a few guys, obviously, that come to mind. Uh, the, probably my favorite um, was Natron Means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he had a really a lot to do with the turnaround on offense at UNC the first time around. I think it was maybe the Wake Forest game on the road, uh, 93, 90, 92 time frame. And he just went up there and just went off. And you, when you have a back like that, it just does so much for you. I mean, it's great that North Carolina's offensive line has uh, progressed and improved to the point that it is. Uh, they're not uh, hitting the backs in the backfield. Uh, that's, I think, a key to me that I'm looking for when I'm watching a game. Are they, is the defensive line or linebackers behind them, the middle backers, interior backers, are they hitting the, the backs across the line of scrimmage? Are they getting penetration into the backfield? And you didn't see any of that. And so that's great. But, but after Javante got through the hole or once he got around the edge, nobody wanted to bring him down or hardly even tried to bring him down. And on one play, one touchdown play, maybe the second or third one in whichever one it was in the third quarter, when he went around, a couple of state guys tried to, to tackle him and he just bounced them off of him. And in the process bounced, uh, Garrett Walston off of him. He knocked Garrett Walston down too on his way to the end zone. He doesn't see color or, or anything on, on the way to the end zone. He's just going to knock you over if you're in his way. And, um, you know, that is a huge advantage. The number of yards sometimes he gets on first and second down are just unbelievable. I mean, um, you know, on first down, he'll run for 10 yards. How great a thing is that? And 19 times yesterday, either him or Carter, or maybe some occasions it might have been Sam, ran for a first down. 19 first downs they got running the football. And when you're doing that, you're staying ahead of the chains. If you're making that many first downs, then you're probably, you know, in third and two, third and three, something like that, you know, and, and they ran for 19 first downs. NC state had a total of 23 first downs passing and throwing and four of them came on the penalty. So the North Carolina had just as many third down conversions by running the ball as state did combined, um, in the game, running or throwing it. It's just a huge advantage. other guys, to follow up on your question, Kelvin Bryant was an amazing mm-hmm. rusher. He got hurt, tore his knee all to pieces, but uh, some crazy ECU game, he's ran for like six touchdowns, and I mean long touchdown runs. Um, there, there's some other guys that come to mind. Don McCauley back in the day, obviously. Mike Voigt, the uh, space cowboy, and uh, you know, some of those guys, uh, come to mind, but Javante just seems to be a complete back. And the one thing you can't teach a back is want to, and he, he's got that. I mean, he, uh, he's not going to go down until he has to go down, but 
also he seems to be able to go down when pushing it too far it could you know result in an injury so I, I think he's got a long career ahead of him at the next level let me uh jason i want to get your take there but let me talk about johnny t-shirt right fast great sponsors of this podcast great friends of inside carolina friends of inside carolina subscribers 10% off your order if you're a premium subscriber, and that's usually on top of great sales they always have. Carolina gear, sweatshirts, anything you need for warm weather. Of course, they've got plenty, or excuse me, cool weather. They've got plenty of warm weather gear. If you were in Keenan Stadium yesterday, it was quite warm. Johnny T-shirts got you set up there, got jerseys. The throwback jerseys out there is pretty popular. And of course, it's Christmas time, so you need to get your Christmas orders in. Uh, I will say this, uh, we ordered from another site, and it took three months for it to get here. You order from Johnny T-Shirt, and it takes days for it to arrive at your doorstep if you order from johnnytshirt.com. And, of course, go visit them if you're in Chapel Hill. A great time to visit Chapel Hill. Beautiful leaves are nice. Johnny T-Shirt should be one of your stops on Franklin Street. And, of course, they're alumni-owned and locally operated, so you got to support them because Lord knows local businesses, small businesses need all the support we can get. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with the game plan the day after podcast. Man, these things are getting something. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. We're back with the day after podcast. North Carolina 48, NC State 21. Jason, on the topic of Javante Williams, Carolina's backed up. Um, they're on their own half-yard line. Javante gets a run off right tackle, breaks one tackle at the line of scrimmage, goes 25 yards. And that, you know, that, that drive was the backbreaker for NC State, I think. The complete, it's overdrive. Um, talk about, I mean, you've broken down a lot of film of him Clearly, he, you're not tackling him with one guy. If they can isolate a corner on Javante, that's not a good matchup for the defense. Uh, but what makes him so effective other than his power? Because he's, he's got some speed. Um, but break his game down a little bit across the board. Pass catching, blitz pickup, all that. I mean, he, as far as pass catching, as far as – Blitz pick up everything else. I think the guy's a complete player. And I think you're going to see that when, when you start seeing NFL, NFL uh, discussions about this guy. You're going to see people talking about, like, look, he – and this is one of the sad things about last week. He's dropped one ball in two years. 
and it was that one. And it was that one. And, and, and it was not a pressure drop. It was not because, I mean, it was a, it was a tough catch. It, you know, I think it might've even been tipped a little bit, but you know, you, you start noticing that stuff and you're going, okay, well, where are the holes? And yeah, there are times where, you know, and I've highlighted a couple of them where he's, he's had a, a, he could be a little bit better in pass protection, but by and large, he is really reliable in pass protection. And at 220 pounds, he uses all of it <laughs> when he's in pass protection. And yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that that sequence, he, he broke, he, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that that was the turning point or anything. I think that was the, the moment where he broke NC State's will. It was one of those things where you could see those guys. It was like, oh, I don't see it happening for us guys. You, <laughs> right. And you could see guys late, especially later in that game, they were making business decisions when it came time to tackle. And when you're a running back and you've got guys starting to make business decisions saying, mm, you know, I think I'll go low. I think I'll just kind of dive in here a little bit and see what happens. Well, then you're going to get more broken tackles and it also means that game's over. And I think you could see that with, with state. They made business decisions when Javante was, was running the football later in that game. And that's why his, his uh, missed tackle count was so high. I mean, it, it's high in every game, but it was, it was unusually high even for him in this game because he, I mean, Carolina broke, it wasn't just him, but, but Carolina broke the will of NC State early, I think, in the second half. And then from that point on, it was, you know, let's, let's go ahead and take care of business. And actually, again, I think it might've been earlier than that. I mean, you can go to that, that run, that run in particular, you go, yeah, yeah. Those guys are starting to, starting to think a little bit. Yeah. That, that run I referenced and we're talking about seven Oh four of the third quarter. Um, it says up the middle, a little bit off tackle, 24 yards on first down. Yeah. That's about the stage where I think they, they started looking at each other like we ain't winning this guys. Yep, they're done. Buck, uh, let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. And you talked about it in your opening, and it was something that um, was a concern after seeing Carolina give up some running yards the last two weeks. The issue was the running quarterback. State did not have a running quarterback. And I don't want to knock a kid, but Bailey Hockman, he, he, he struggled mightily. I, I mean, I, that's as light as I can put it. I thought Finley came in and did some things for NC State, but once Carolina figured out that the swing passes were all he was going to throw, that switched. But when you look at NC State and you've got Bam Knight with nine carries for 41 yards and Ricky Person, which I thought he broke his arm on that play. I didn't realize he'd had a concussion, at least in person. Uh, those guys combine – for 53 yards between them. Yes, the game's over if that happens. But what what did you see from Carolina? I thought Chaz Surratt woke up, played a great game. Carolina's defense was just excellent against the NC State offense that had had some success, and especially it had success running the ball. I thought they'd go all Baylor on Carolina and just run it left and right. Jay Bateman wasn't having it, but. That's what I expected, too. And one of the things I will say, though, because we don't, talk about him probably as much as we should but jeremiah gimmel is a very smart football player um he got several occasions watching the game particularly you know the recorded version 
you could see him making good decision after good decision coming down the line and knowing which way the ball was going to go, which way the ball carrier was going to go and just gave them nothing. Uh, so I, I think uh, Gimbel's intelligence is, plays a big role in, in that defense, more so than probably we give it credit. Um, the the def- other piece, I think, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we went on air, but if you look at the stats from last year, the snap counts, you know, I can remember some snap counts last year where you had Strobridge and Crawford getting 65, 70 snaps a game. Um, and, you know, no real relief. And this year, obviously, they don't have either one of them, and they're doing a lot more substitution because the the difference is not as great. But the other thing, North Carolina's running game is keeping defenses, uh, you know, keeping their defense off the field. You know, there, there was like, I want to say, four uh, touchdown drives, 10 plays or more yesterday. That's a lot of time to rest for a defense. And the defense is obviously helping themselves. They got three, uh, three and outs to start the game. And so you, then you start looking at a time of possession. The, if every starter played every minute of the last two games on defense, they would have only played 23 minutes. And they held the ball for um, 34, 35 minutes against Florida State and held it 36 or so minutes yesterday. I mean, uh, the offense is keeping the ball for a long time. North Carolina's running 80 plays plus the last two, uh, yeah, the last two games. And the other side, the other offenses are running like 60. So that makes a huge difference in that the defense, there's some younger guys on there, guys that are learning, but they don't have to be on the field for an extended period of time. They're not playing tired. You know, they're not winded. You know, I I think the strength and conditioning program is very good at UNC anyway, but there's a big difference between Tamari Fox playing 30 snaps or what I think that was correct that he played about 30 snaps yesterday and Crawford and Strobridge playing 65 last year you know he can go 100 percent every snap and I think that makes a big difference schematically I think Bateman just said we don't believe you can throw the ball so we're just going to stack the box put extra people in the box and dare you to throw it and if you can Congratulations, but we're going to put a lot of bodies in there uh, within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and if you can get through there, congratulations again. And I just think that's how Bateman played it in layman's terms. Jason would probably have a greater explanation than I would, but that's how I saw it through layman's eyes. Jason, what's your take, of course? Chas Surratt had a good game yesterday, and – I want to ask this question as related to Surratt, but, and then you can expound on Buck's point there. Chaz looks like he has a lot more success when facing a guy that's not a jitterbug type player. And I mean, that's probably, that's true for everybody, but if Chaz can 
get straight line on somebody like he was able to do a couple of times, especially on Finley, the quarterback, he's all over it. And NC State didn't present the jitterbug type um, athlete that, that maybe a Florida State has or whatever. Um, talk about that aspect of Surratt's game, especially against NC State. But also, did Bateman do anything differently other than Buck said? Just dare him to beat him throwing the ball, and NC State couldn't do it. Yeah, I think it was really what Buck said, is is they loaded the box, and in the system that NC State's running, they're, they're going to do a lot of RPO-type stuff where you have – a play call that's either a run or a short pass or some sort of some sort of pass concept that can be executed while they're run blocking. And if you load the box against those teams, you can usually dictate for them to throw. You can basically say, okay, look, we've got an extra guy in the box. We're single covering you out here. So by your rules, you got to throw this ball. And if your guys are better covering than their guys who are running the routes, or if they don't have a quarterback who can make that play, then that's that. They're, they're going to th- they're going to throw it and they're going to fail. So there was some of that. Uh, is basically they just said you're going to have to run into this box where. And I'm looking at a at a play right now. Uh, actually, I was just watching videos on YouTube of Rams against uh, against Wolves. You really really bet on the Ram there, uh, just as a rule. Um, <laughs> wolves really do not want a piece of a of a like full grown ram. Just saying. Anyway, uh, so I switched it over a little bit, and I'm watching another video now on the other side of this. Where, but I've got a, I've got a freeze frame right now, and you know I'm looking for some plays that I specifically want to break down schematically. And you can see before the snap that NC State has a formation they can run or throw from. It's it's uh, they've got three receivers and H back in the backfield. In, in the kind of pistol pistol type formation. And so you got five blockers, you got an H back and you got a back. That's if you're going to, if you're going to run the football, that's going to be six blockers plus the running back. Carolina has gone they're They're in press across the board, which is, that's something that is one thing that Bateman did in this game that he doesn't do in every game is they, they press across the field. And that tells you that Bateman felt like, look, you guys can't beat my guys. You you don't have receivers that can run by my guys. So I'm going to go ahead and press you and I'll, I'll give you, and it's what we said in the pregame in the, in the game plan podcast is against this team with that quarterback, you say, look, if you can beat us multiple times on big plays with your receivers, we're just going to tip the cap to you, but we're going to press you. We're going to force you to make those plays because we don't think you can do them. That's exactly what he did. And now I'm looking at the front and you got, your four defensive linemen, your two backers, and then you got a safety five yards off in the box. So now you got seven against their six plus one for the running game. The only way you're going to run against that is if you're going to run the quarterback. And, well, you know, got news for you about Hockman and Finley as runners. They're, they're not, say, Jordan Travis, who Florida State faced last week, right? That – Against Jordan Travis, that's a run look because you've got seven in the box and the extra guy for the quarterback is at free safety 15 yards off the, off the ball, 12 yards off the ball. Against a quarterback that can't really run, the numbers are in the defense's favor. And Bateman and the defense took advantage of that all day. They basically said, you're going to have to run your quarterback, which we don't think he can run that well, or he's going to have to beat us with his arm, and we don't think your receivers or your quarterback are good enough to do that. So simple as that. 
And, you know, uh, to follow up on Jason's point, it's not like NC State didn't throw the ball. They threw it 44 times. They passed for 358 yards. But uh, Bateman's bet was you're not going to put yourself in a scoring position like that. You're going to be fa- you're going to be behind the chains. It's going to be third and ten, and maybe you've gone thirty or forty yards on this drive, but you're going to have to throw it on third and ten again. And if I beat you on that, you're off the field. So they gained a ton of yards, three hundred fifty-eight, and threw it forty-four times. They just couldn't make any points. All you can't make a living like that. If you're, you know, constantly facing third and 10 or long uh, and you have to make that play because then the defense can get in a different posture. They can play you a little differently if they know you got to go 10 yards for a first down. So, And that's, that's actually a really good point in terms of the difference playing defense today in this era versus playing defense, say, even 10 years ago. I mean, in the Butch Davis era, for example. In today's era – with the way that rules favor the offense to such a degree and the, 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 execu- the, uh, the enforcement of those rules specifically favor the offense so much and the way that teams are, are using RPOs and things to give defenses so much trouble. I mean, you think about it. If you're, if you're, a, defensive, uh, if you're a defensive coordinator or a linebackers coach, you coach your linebackers on specific keys – Okay, you watch the guard. If he's run blocking and he's coming at your level, you've got to get downhill to, to, to get into this gap. That's your job. Well, now most offenses in college football, half their passing game is that guard is releasing and coming straight downhill into that gap, and the, the linebacker has to trigger because that's his responsibility. And as soon as he triggers, they're going to throw right behind him. Well, there is zero way to stop that. This is why that's illegal in the NFL, right? In the NFL, you are either pass blocking or run blocking. With, you know, they'll, they'll do some RPO stuff, but you can only be a yard downfield in the NFL, and they enforce it. In college, it's three yards, and they really give you five or six sometimes. I mean, Florida State, one of their biggest plays against, uh, against North Carolina, they had a lineman that was, I think, five and a half yards downfield. And that stuff just does not get called very often in college football. Well, if that's the case, you, you can't stop teams. You're, you're not going to – teams are going to get yardage against you. And, you know, you look at what happened with Ole Miss against Alabama's offense this year. Ole Miss – I mean, that was, that was a Nick Saban defense with as much talent as anybody has in the country. You heard what Nick had to say this past week about offense and defense too, I'm, I'm sure, Jason. I actually didn't. I, I, I've, <laughs> I missed it. You know, that this is a, a very interesting thing to come out of Nick Saban's mouth. But he just said this point blank in words that we've all used. He said that um, once upon a time, good defense could beat good offense. Yeah, that's not happening now. He says that's no longer true. He said you, you just cannot beat a really good offense with good defense. Now, it, it helps to have a good defense, but uh, – and he was really saying that in reference to the Georgia game where he said they have a great defense. Their defense is amazing. Their defense is as good as ours or better. Yeah, I think that Georgia but, team's the best defense in the country. And, and it doesn't matter. He, he said, he, no, it doesn't matter because you, 
cannot beat a great offense with a, a great defense anymore. It's just not happening for you. And for hearing Nick Saban say that, you know, a lot of jaws ought to be hitting the floor, but he's just speaking the truth. I mean, anyway, get back and that, to your point, and that gets And that gets beyond, like, the number of holding calls that or the holding the, the the amount of holding that happens on every play in the line of scrimmage the amount of holding that that they're allowing offensive lines to get away with is it's it's jaw dropping i mean it, it, it they are not enforcing holding unless it is absolutely blatantly obvious and directly within a within a you know very short order very short space leads to something that is measurable with you know within the confines of that play. Otherwise, they're letting stuff go to the point where unless you have an absolutely spectacular defensive line, teams are just going to hold the heck out of you. And only the best defensive linemen are going to get away with or are going to get through some of those holds. And and before, you know, some of the, the partisans here are going to say, well, yeah, that's true. You know, all I, I see, you know, all these holding calls that are not called against North Carolina's opponents, it, trust me, there's a bunch of stuff that's not called on the North Carolina side all the time too. Just teams, they're, they're not calling holding very much. Well, once you've got that, you're, you're, once you know that they're going to be allowed to be downfield run blocking while throwing, the th- while, while throwing, and they can hold your guys with impunity or near impunity, as a defensive coordinator, your, your mindset kind of has to change. Because you know you're not gonna you're not gonna limit the you're not gonna limit a good offense, even a mediocre offense, to 20, 21 points. You're just not going to. So what do you have to do? You have to start approaching this as all right. Look, we're gonna give up four hundred yards. It's okay. I'm okay with giving up four hundred yards, but what we can't do is give up touchdowns. I'm okay giving up a thirty yard you know thirty yard drive, forty yard drive here. And I'm going to roll the dice to get, uh, to get a, a, a tackle for loss, to get a sack, to get something that gets them off schedule so that, yeah, they got 35, 40 yards, but now I just happen to get three plays in a row because I, I won on first down. Now I'm going to get something on second down, and now I get my guys off the field. That's all that matters. It's not a matter of trying to choke out a team or suffocate a team. I mean, you go back to the Butch Davis days, the, the last couple of years, and that 2009 defense – that 2010 defense, those defenses could choke teams out. And you could try to win, you know, 24-17. That's just not today's football. If you're Jay Bateman, you're saying, look, I can stop. I, I, can, I can try to stop this team in every, in every sense, and I'm just going to give up a ton of plays. Or I can roll the dice in just the right way so that eventually my number is going to come up. So I, I have to avoid giving up the, 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 touch, the, the long play for a touchdown. But I can give them this play. I can, I can be willing to give them these things enough in the hopes that as I roll, eventually Snake Eyes is going to come up. Eventually I'm going to get my doubles. Eventually I'm going to get whatever, you know, Red's going to hit. And now I've got my tackle for loss. They're off schedule. Now I got my chance. Or I'm going to I'm I'm roll this and I'm hoping that, you know, I've got about a 15% chance of getting a turnover if I call this against this look because here's what they're likely to do. I'm going to roll those dice. And I might give up a 15-yard play, but if there's a 15% chance that I get a turnover on this, that they throw into my guy, that's how, and that's how defenses and good defensive coordinators are approaching things a lot these days is they're willing to, to some degree, give up some yardage. You, you of course, hate that as a coordinator, and you, you, 
you coach your guys to make tackles and get teams off the field and do all that. But really what matters is can you get the stops, get the key stops to say, can we make this play? Can, can, I, can I make sure that I get a guy that steps in enough to get them off schedule, to get a turnover, to get a hand on a ball, to you know, change, change the math a little bit so that now we've got a chance to get off the field. And that's what that's about. And I think that's what we've seen for the most part this year from Bateman's defense is, yeah, they've given up yards. But look how many stops they've gotten. And look at, look at how well they've done in avoiding giving up touchdown drives. And you see a tackle for loss here. You see interceptions. You see different things like that that change that. And that's really what we saw from Bateman in the defense against NC State. We're willing to give you some of those passing yards. And you know what? They gave up a couple big plays, a couple touchdowns in the passing game. But in the process, I'm willing to give you that as long as you don't get that. And that meaning you're going to have consistent yardage enough to be able to just – matriculate the ball down the field and, and score that way. No, we're, we're going to, you're going to have to take that away from us. And we don't believe you can do that consistently enough to keep from being behind the chains. Otherwise that's what they did. Yeah. That last five minutes, 10 minutes needs to be on loop for some folks, especially the folks that were at me during the game about Jay Bateman and his poor schemes and his poor <laughs> um, team's execution. And, you know, I, I don't, I think we can wrap the podcast on that because that, that nails the concept of defenses in 2020 with the way offenses in Buck, you brought up Saban. If Saban's saying it, whether you agree with him or not or, or, believe, or like him or not, it's the truth. I, I think the last several games, I'd, I'd have to go back and check this to be sure, but I think Alabama's defenses gave up over 400 yards the last several games. Yep. And, yeah. you know, for Saban, you know, that's got to be like, chewing on bone or something uh you know he's, he's not used to giving up that kind of yards but he just basically said doesn't matter anymore you know it's if i've got a great offense i'm feeling pretty good about things and alabama has a great offense by the mm-hmm. way although they lost uh waddle yesterday i think yeah, yeah they re- did returning was, a kick yeah, which, it was a bad injury yeah, yeah and so that's why I don't mind the fair catches or letting the balls go through the end zones on the kickoff returns because that's a – yeah, that was bad for Waddle and Saban knew it right when it happened. So, anyway, uh, Carolina routes NC State, second straight year. What is that now? That's 89 to 31 over the last two years. Wait, what was that number again? 89-31. 89 to 31. Is that a 58-point – in yeah. two years, yeah. And if you huh. want to knock out last year's first half, it's like worse. I mean, I think huh. the worm has – it's amazing what blue-collar football can do to uh, to teams. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You've been listening to the Day After Podcast. We'll break all that down and plenty more later in the week. We will have some football uh, with On the Beat with Ross Martin and Greg Barnes later in the week basketball included in that podcast so if you don't like double up shows you're getting one when on the beat got coast to coast coming and then before you know it jason greg and i'll be doing another game plan podcast carolina goes to virginia on halloween night whoo that's been an interesting place for carolina especially around the halloween witching hour so we'll see how that one goes buck jason appreciate you joining me thanks tommy enjoyed it jason uh, a heck of a lot more fun on on uh, evaluations like today's. Yeah, yep. and 48, 48 21 is pretty easy to analyze, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And Jason, look forward to any film breakdown you got this week. They're always a blast. But always love the column. Johnny T-shirt, always appreciate the sponsorship. Mm. We'll see y'all again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.